0: I'd like you to think for a moment of something that a parent or other uh, role model figure has said to you really positively that has really stuck with you, or really wise that has really stuck with you. Um, that, that Or maybe now actually, maybe when you were younger you didn't get it, and now that you're a little bit older, or maybe a lot older, now, now you really understand it better. I, I know there's a number of things that I can think of that, that my parents have said, just little phrases or things that have just stuck with me. I remember one thing that my mom said to me, uh, when I was a teenager, that was really helpful. Um, is that she said, and, and just a ba- little backstory so I'm, I'm number five out of six kids, and my oldest, oldest three siblings are a lot older than I am. And my mom told me when I was a teenager, she said, Nathaniel, because then I went by Nathaniel, you know, actually, no, I didn't really go by Nathaniel, that's just what mom and my sisters called me, Nathaniel. Um, I want you to know that when I make rules for you, it's not because I'm a fun hater. She said, your older siblings thought that I just didn't like fun, and so I made rules to stop them from having fun. She said, I want you to know the only reason I'm making these rules is because I love you, and I, and I want it to, to go well. And I, and I really appreciate that because that gave me some just, like, perspective. Like, okay, like, mom is not trying to be a fun hater. Like, she really is. Like, I might disagree with them sometimes. I might think they're lame sometimes, but she's trying to do it the best she can. And, and that has really stuck with me. And I understand it better now, both as a, as a pastor who works a lot with youth ministries, like with the teen retreat and, and Camp Rises Up, and now also as, as a dad, is I'm really like, if you ever come to one of these events, I have the bare minimum of rules. Like when, when, I, when I do them, I just, like, the bare minimum, and when we work through them, and Harper, maybe you remember this from camp, like we actually as a group came up with the rules for camp, right? And the whole point was, and I wanted to explain, is that, okay, if we're going to have a good week, what are some things that have to happen and can't happen for the week to be good? Because I'm, I'm, I'm not putting rules because I'm against you, I'm putting rules here because I'm for you. Like I want this to be the best week possible, let's do it. And so that really, that, that stuck with me. In a similar vein, I find um, just like the rules come from a place of I want it to be the best it can, discipline comes the same way. Like I, I, I'm, I, I know for me, like when it comes to disciplining, like it's like the least favorite thing for me to do. Like, especially when, and see if this, like, you ever, like, I'm sitting in my recliner and something happens in the house that needs, you know, some discipline. The last thing I want to do is get up and go discipline, right? Or if I'm at camp and we're having a blast around the campfire or down at the beach and I hear a kid got in trouble, the last thing I want to do is go and handle it. But I do it. Why? Why do you do it? why do you have to go say something? I do it because I love them. It's the only reason. Like, I sit there, and like, honestly, I'm like, man, it'd be easier to just not, to just kind of let it go. But that wouldn't do just, they need, they need this. They need someone to come and lovingly correct them. I do it simply because I love them. I wouldn't, I wouldn't do it otherwise. It comes out of love. That same thing is true when it comes to how God relates to us. That whole concept of God, like, when he works in our lives, sometimes there are challenging things, and, and we might look and be like, what is God, is God angry with me? God loves me, but because he loves me, sometimes, sometimes things can be challenging. Sometimes there's a need for correction. Sometimes there's a pushing to grow, and it all comes solely because of tough love, the lesson we have to see this. It, it's Hebrews chapter twelve verses four to eleven. It says, "In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood, and you have forgotten that word of encouragement that addresses you as sons. My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline, and do not lose heart when he rebukes you, because the Lord disciplines those he loves, and he punishes everyone he accepts as a son. Endure hardship as discipline; God is treating you as a, as sons." For what son is not disciplined by his father? If you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are illegitimate children and not true sons. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the father of our spirits and live? Our fathers disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it." Now this lesson comes from a book of the New Testament, which is pretty unique, because it's a book where we're not told specifically who the author actually is. People have different theories, you know, is it Paul, is it Barnabas, is it Paulus? We're just not really told. We do know that they ultimately point to Jesus, and that's what really matters. We're also not given an overly specific description of the audience. You know, like the book of Romans is specifically written to people in Rome, Ephesians, in Ephesus, and so on. The book of Hebrews is not, not location-specific that way. However, it is written to people who do have a certain background, people who are Hebrew or Jewish in background, and that becomes really apparent when you read through it because it is just packed full with Old Testament references. It's just, it it actually, the book of Hebrews, if you want to learn about the Old Testament in a really summary fashion, actually, read the book of Hebrews, even though it's in the New Testament. Because it will point you back, it explains things from the Old Testament, it will make you look up references from the Old Testament. If you want to get a kind of bullet point, what does the Old Testament mean, why does it matter, read the book of Hebrews and let it point you back to the Old Testament. It's amazing. So there's all these references here, and it's, it's a beautiful book. We're not going to work through these different references, but there are a couple things from this book that we should realize that will help us understand what our lesson is about. One, the people at this point apparently are facing temptations to give up on faith in Christ, to go back to their old pre-Christ way of living and believing and following the the, the Jewish ways that that were there or the other ways that were around them. They weren't... They weren't persecuted to the point where like, people they were being ar- killed and things like that, but there was, just, there was various persecutions that were really pushing them that it would just be easier to go back. And so this, this, this writing, this letter, really pushes them to recognize that Jesus is better than anything else. He's better than anything of the Old Testament. He's better than anything the world around you has to offer. Jesus is better, and so he's worth it. Not only that, recognize that Jesus is better, it is challenging you to really persevere now and to stick to what's better, to go the distance and find out and take hold fully of this better one known as Jesus. As this letter encourages us to do that, there's an event from the Old Testament that you can tell is in the background, in the back of the mind of the writer. And a lot of what he says is flavored by this event. So I just want to review this event quick because it will help us better understand our lesson. In the Old Testament, you may remember, so the people were in Egypt, the nation of Israel, right? In Egypt, they were slaves. God brought them out. You know, he had sent the plagues in Egypt. There's, uh, and they're they're finally, they're they're sent out of Egypt. But then God brings them through the Red Sea in this remarkable way, and he brings them out to the wilderness. And the promised land is ahead of them. The land that God said, I'm going to give you this land. You're going to drive out the nations. You're going to settle there. You're going to be my people, be a light to the world, all this. Well, when they get out there, getting ready for, going to go into the promised land, they sent 12 spies into the land. And the report is, it's beautiful, it's great. Two of them say, let's go. God's promised it to us. Let's take hold of the promise. Let's go in. You know what the other 10 said? Those people are huge and tough. There's no way we can do it. They freak out. They pull back and they don't go into the promised land for fear of what's in front of them, for fear of the, the, the people there. They don't trust God. They don't think God is good. They don't hang on to his promises, and they hang back. And that's why they end up being in the wilderness for 40 years because God waits for actually all the people who held back, who didn't want to go in, to die before he took them into the promised land. He waited till the next generation grew up and then brought them in because that generation didn't trust God to go in themselves. This is in the background. You can tell it. You can see it in these different ways and the, the things that he says here throughout this, this, this letter. Like in chapter 10, verse 39, right before the Heroes of Faith chapter, we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed. We are of those who believe and are saved. We're not going to shrink back in the face of the enemy, of the fight that's in front of us. We're going forward trusting that God will bring us to where he says he will bring us. This is in the background As he goes into that chapter, that heroes of faith chapter, and as we mentioned with the lesson, remember, when you say heroes of faith, it's not that they are great people. It's exactly the opposite. They are flawed people, and yet God does incredible things through them by giving the gift of faith. We go through, there's that chapter 11. Our lesson comes after that in chapter 12, where the writer is encouraging them to recognize, encouraging us, to see what God can do by giving people faith and what he has done throughout the Old Testament, but now also to ultimately And I have a picture of Abraham there. That's one of the examples. But the best place to focus our mind is on Jesus, the one who in the face of everything gave up his life, went all the way to the point of death for the joy before him, that he might obey his father, that he might love us to the end, that he might pay for our sins, rise again, and bring us back to him. For us, he focused on that goal That was his joy. He came, laid it all down for us, rose again to reclaim us. Fix your mind on him and what he's done so that you don't grow weary or lose heart. And this is the setting where we talk about now God's tough love. When God is pushing us to focus on Jesus who persevered for the joy before him. Our lesson, it starts off, it says, in your struggle against sin, you have not resisted to the point of shedding your blood. We've talked a few times in this series about what sin really is and it's about that idea of missing the mark and missing the mark of what you were meant to be. But also in this Hebrew context, this Hebrews context, think about now remember that whole story from the Old Testament about not going into the promised land. It's not just missing the mark of what God originally intended for you. In this context, it's now of what God has promised to you in the future. Because the way they talk about what happened there in the wilderness, how the people stayed out, it's often referred to as the sin of the wilderness. Here's the thing. God doesn't want you in your battle against sin to miss out on where he is taking you, on what he has promised to you. Eternity with him forever in his kingdom. God does not want you to miss out on that. This is your, your struggling against sin, against that temptation to pull back and not go forward. He says, in your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. There were some people in the early church maybe by this point who had been resisting to the point of shedding their blood. And it's one of those things that when you think about the history of the world and actually the fact that this is happening right now in our world to think that there are Christians who are dying for doing what we're doing right now. Like sometimes we need that reminder as we live in America today because people will talk about, you know, it's getting harder to be a Christian. Yes. But I'm not afraid that I'm going to get arrested when I leave here today. So praise the Lord that we can do this. You know, give him a shout of praise that we can be here. That we can worship and we can go and you can listen to podcasts and Christian radio and we can do these things. We are privileged to do that. It gives us that important reminder, but I know for me, it also, it, it makes me just question, like, man. Like, if I was in that situation where they said, you know, deny Jesus or die, what would I do? You know? Like, if I was really put in that situation, they said, stop preaching the gospel or we're going to arrest you what, do you, what, what would you. what would I do? That's a, that's, that's a heavy thing to, to consider. And I can take comfort, I want to share your comfort too, that you know what, you might feel like, man, I don't know if I could do that. The spirit who lives inside of you is strong enough to make you bold enough to do that. He is. The spirit is strong enough to make you bold enough to confess Jesus to the end. To be one of those people who says, you know what, it is worth it to give everything for Jesus. it is worth it to give everything. When I think about that, I got to tell you it just it it, it it helps me remember that what we're doing right now how much it matters. We're not just going to church on Sunday. We're not just, you know, giving things to help us through the week. It does that. But this what we're doing right here is worth giving everything for. And because it's worth giving everything for, It's worth some tough love because it matters that much. So our lesson, it goes on. It says, and have you forgotten, or excuse me, and you have forgotten that word of encouragement that addresses you as sons. I want to just pause there for a minute. So first of all, have you forgotten? So this concept of discipline is not something that's new to the the Christians at that point. We read that Old Testament lesson from Proverbs. This is something that they've heard, that they grew up on. But notice, too, as he points it out, what does he call it? It's a word of encouragement. When we think of discipline, a lot of times it's like, oh man, discipline. Like, I, this is like, I, I got to put up with this thing. These are encouraging words. These are meant to encourage you as you go through the, the discipline. And so he says, my son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline. The, the phrase make light, basically it's like, don't think badly of it. Don't think poorly of it. Like, don't Toss God's discipline in the trash. It's valuable. Which, how often when you're going through a rough day and things get really difficult, how often do you just feel like, man, I just want this day to be over. Man, this day, this day is awful. I just want it over. Don't make light of those days. Don't make light of those challenges. Don't throw those in the trash. God's got redemptive qualities to those. He has redemptive power that he's working in those experiences. Don't make light of them. And do not lose heart when he rebukes you. Or more literally says like when he convicts you of something where that isn't quite right. Don't lose heart. I know I need to hear that because as a recovering people pleaser because that's what I recognize I am. I'm naturally people pleaser and I'm re- recovering from that. And by the dirty little secret I think most pastors are. I'm just calling them out. I think we are by nature. I'm a recovering people pleaser, so when you know when someone points out something that wasn't quite right, it comes goes quickly to my heart. And he says, "Don't lose heart. Don't lose heart. This this is not a bad thing. God's doing something here. When He points out something that isn't quite right or needs fixing or could be better, what He's doing here is coming from tough love. This is training." The last phrase was this, endure hardship as discipline. The word discipline, it really, it's the idea of training, of training you to be better, training you to grow, training it so that you can excel. You know, like a good trainer, like if you were doing and in, in working in the weight room or something, like, and I, I think back to when, when I used to do, I was went to this big football school and everything. It, it, your trainer, when they're working with you, they better teach you how to have good form with those weights. Otherwise, what are you going to do? You're going to hurt yourself. If you don't have somebody teaching you how to do it right, you're going to injure yourself. You need someone who cares enough to say, no, no, not not like that, like this. No, 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 you don't want to do it this way. This way is better. A good trainer will correct you if they won't get a new one because that's missing the point. God is training us. He's training us through the discipline. He's training us through the challenge. He's training us through the conviction when we're not going the right direction. It's all coming from tough love. And if you're wondering, like, really, like, this, it doesn't always feel loving. Look at, look at the repeated theme in these verses here. I've I, I made the words a bit, a bit bigger. You are as sons, my son, The Lord disciplines those he loves, he accepts as a son. Take the word son and also think daughter here, by the way, too. This is a general way of speaking about sons and daughters. The whole reason God is disciplining you is because you are his child. And he is your father. This is so huge because sometimes when when things are going bad, or we're having a really rough time, we can, like, we, I, and I hear people say, like, is God punishing me? Is he angry with me? Like, what's going on? You know, like, did I do something, like, wrong? So that, you know, and then, then you start acting like you're on your own instead of being able to trust in God, and we can get to thinking that God is against me. This lesson totally actually flips it on its head. It says, if you're not disciplined, you're actually not a true child, It flips it totally upside down It says the fact that you are being disciplined is actually evidence that God does care. If God didn't care about you, he wouldn't help you get better. If God didn't care about you, he wouldn't challenge you. The fact that he challenges you, the fact that he calls out something that is dangerous or that is hurtful is actually proof that he does care for you. Because the Lord disciplines the ones he loves. The fact that God is showing you ways that, oh, yeah, this is a bad way that I've been going or this is something that I could be better, or I could trust God more here. That act, it's, it's not God being angry with you. It's not God saying, all right, I'm done with you. It's the exact opposite. God is driving you back to him because he's a father who loves you. And if you have any doubt about it, Go back to the cross and remember the fact that God the Son, Jesus, loves you so much that he gave everything to die for you. He took your sin, your guilt on himself, paid for it. There's not a thing more you've got to do to earn God's love. It's already done, and he rose to give you a new life. If God the Son gave everything for you, he gave it for you so you could become a son and daughter now. God, his son, gave down, laid down his life so you could become a child of God. There's nothing, God is not making you earn your way back to him. He's not making you pay for your sins. There's no, like, penance you got to do to make God be happy with you again. It was all completed here. The, the fact that you have discipline from the Father is not evidence that you got to do something to earn God's favor now. That's all been done by Jesus. What it is actually is evidence that you have a father who loves you enough to show you tough love. And as we think about this father, the, the, the author of this letter, he says, moreover, we've all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. So you've had a human father or you've had other role models and you recognize that, okay, there's a discipline that comes from them, I should submit to them. So he says, okay, then how much more should we submit to the father of our spirits and live? Like, if you're willing to submit to a, to a human father when I discipline you, when I say you can't do this or you can do that, how much more God? I mean, come on. I mean, God is, is so much more of a father than human fathers. Because, I mean, our, our human fathers, they discipline us for a little while as they thought best. Um, I don't know what's going on with this guy's outfit, by the way, but it was the best, like, teaching type of picture I could find. It's some strange outfit. But you get the point. Like, <laughs> a father will teach you what he knows of this life, right? A, a role model leader can help you figure out better ways to navigate life in a broken world. But you know what our Heavenly Father does? He shows us the way to someday live in a world that isn't broken anymore. A, a, a human father helps us navigate life in a broken world. Our Heavenly Father gives us hope of a world that isn't broken any longer it's totally next level and if we're going to listen to a human father who, who seems to have some wisdom about okay maybe how to how to learn or our human role model who can teach you some good things but how to navigate this life how much more the god who gives us hope beyond this broken world and beyond this broken life how much more valuable is his tough love than human tough love it doesn't seem pleasant at the time it's painful when, you're, when you're, you're training and you're working and you're going through. and, and it, it, It's painful, but it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who've been trained by it. It is hard, but it, the result, the goal is, is, is something beautiful. It's righteousness. It's peace. Much like last week, last week there were all these beautiful words that we could have dug into, but we chose one joy to really really dig into deeper this week we're going to do a very similar thing but we're going to do it with the word peace because god's peace well is worth leaning into
1: the word peace is common in most languages people can talk about peace treaties or times of peace it means the absence of war And in the Bible, the word peace can refer to the absence of conflict, but it also points to the presence of something better in its place. In the Old Testament, the Hebrew word for peace is shalom. And in the New Testament, the Greek word is eirene. The most basic meaning of shalom is complete or whole. The word can refer to a stone that has a perfect whole shape with no cracks. It can also refer to a completed stone wall that has no gaps and no missing bricks. Shalom refers to something that's complex with lots of pieces that's in a state of completeness, wholeness. It's like Job who says his tents are in a state of shalom because he counted his flock and no animals are missing. This is why shalom can refer to a person's well-being. Like when David visited his brothers on the battlefield, he asked about their shalom. A time when God would make a covenant of shalom with his people and make right all wrongs and heal all that's been broken. This is why Jesus' birth in the New Testament was announced as the arrival of Eirene. Remember, that's the Greek word for peace. Jesus came to offer his peace to others, like when he said to his followers, My peace I give to you all. The apostles claimed that Jesus made peace between messed up humans and God when he died and rose from the dead. The idea is that he restored to wholeness the broken relationship between humans and their creator. This is why the Apostle Paul can say Jesus himself is our Irene. He was the whole complete human that I am made to be but have failed to be. And now he gives me his life as a gift. And this means that Jesus' followers are now called to create peace. Paul instructed local churches to keep their unity through the bond of peace which requires humility and patience and bearing with others in love. Becoming people of peace means participating in the life of Jesus, who reconciled all things in heaven and on earth, restoring peace through his death and resurrection. So peace takes a lot of work because it's not just the absence of conflict. True peace requires taking what's broken and restoring it to wholeness, whether it's in our lives, our relationships, or in our world. And that's the rich, biblical concept of peace.
0: So true peace is a lot of work because it's not just the absence of conflict, but it's bringing wholeness and completeness. It's a restoration of partnership together. It takes a lot of work, and from God's perspective, it takes tough love because God, in order to restore peace with us, is tough on anything that would prevent us from being reunited with Him. To, to, to help us grasp what, what this concept or what, what, what it is, this one more time, think about this example from the Old Testament with the people of Israel. God brought them out of Egypt, and we've got the picture here of the blood on the doorframe. Think about the Passover lamb, so there's that plague, so they could be released from Egypt. But the point wasn't just, okay, now you're out of Egypt, go have fun. Go on vacation. The point was to bring them ultimately into the promised land to partner with him. That was the goal, right? But the people in the land and the report of the spies got in the way of that. They didn't take hold of the promises of God because they were afraid, they didn't trust God, whatever. Those things got in the way of ultimately the peace that God wanted to establish, the partnership with his people. The same thing with us. Jesus died on the cross to take away our sins, but not so now you can just like, okay now just go live your life. Jesus died for our sins to remove what separated us from God so we could be partnered with him again. We're looking forward to that plate when we're going to be with God in his kingdom and we're in his presence completely, but God even now he wants us all in. Now he wants to drive out anything that would prevent us from being united and partnering with him. Which, and to use that picture from the Old Testament, gives us reason to stop and and question today and and to personally reflect today what might be your potential people in the land that prevent you from going into the promises God has for you. What's your thing? What could it be? You know, could, could it be Could it be actually shame and guilt for things you've done in the past? Could that be the thing that prevents you from taking hold of the promise God has for you? So then maybe what God is doing in your life right now, this hard thing right now, is getting God, God is working to get you to stop trying to be good enough. He's maybe trying to get you to realize that you can't earn his approval and you never had to because Jesus has done it for you. Is, is that potential thing, that potential people in the land to you, maybe it's, maybe it's self-reliance. You know, like maybe you're really good at making plans and figuring things out. And so what God is wanting to do right now, maybe, maybe God is busting up your plans because God is teaching you to depend not on yourself, but him. Maybe, could could that thing be, could that thing be maybe that potential people in the land that become a barrier, maybe it's, maybe it's your really good life that you have. You know, like we, 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 we have, we live in a beautiful, look at this beautiful fall week we've got going on here. You know, there's festivals and maybe you're going to go to an apple orchard and it's going to be beautiful and all this stuff and that's great. But sometimes we can be so enjoying our heaven on earth that we lose sight of the hope beyond it, beyond this life. And is God kind of disrupting the good things in this life so you don't lose sight of the hope for the next? You know, or, or maybe is, is it easy, maybe one of the things that could potentially be the be people in the land, is it easy Christianity you know, like, sometimes I wonder if it's too easy to be a Christian for us. You know, just go to church, you don't have to worry about it. Like, it's not, and, we don't, and, and we can forget that it is worth giving everything for. Is God driving us to that? You know, what, what, what is it? What is your thing that could potentially be the people in the land? And perhaps is God shaking you up, pointing out where you've been, what's going on, so he can train you? so that you are not among those who shrink back, but those who go forward. How is God showing you tough love? Wherever it is and however God is, 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 is breaking things up or, or disciplining or correcting, always remember this. May this lesson make it clear as can be. God is not, if you are in Christ, it's not that God is against you. It's not that God is angry with you. The whole reason God is shaking things up is because he loves you. You don't have to do a thing to earn his love or to make yourself right with him. Jesus has already done it all. You're forgiven, you're free, you're right with God. And now God, who is a loving father, may be shaking things up, training you, growing you to step forward into the promises that he has made to you, into the life he wants to give you, where you are partnered with him. We have a loving God who has made us right with him, who is training us and growing us
1: through tough love.